This round on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, the Rocketeer turns 30, and don't we feel old. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kinda like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Hey listener, welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. This is episode 187, and it's all about the 30th anniversary of The Rocketeer. You don't know The Rocketeer? The Rock-a-Who, you said? Well then stop now, go to Disney+, Plus, watch the movie, and then come back and hear our glorious fanboy gush about said movie. Because it's really a shame that this thing did not become a franchise. It just has all the elements, but nobody wanted to see it. Why? Maybe because it's set in the 30s and nobody cared. Uh, maybe it's because it came out and comic book movies were still kind of a risk at the box office. And so the studios were less uh, willing to throw a lot of cash at something that wasn't, say, Batman. So uh, the general just is a test pilot, finds a stolen rocket pack developed by Howard Hughes, and then uses it to fight Nazis. We think Nazis are really bad, and so it's always good when people fight them in the movies. So it's, you know, 30 serial, think Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, shades of future Iron Man, if you will. Uh, it's just a fun romp, and there's no cynicism at all. It's just a very genuine, earnest, action, fun romp. And, uh, well, you'll hear more. We just love it to death, and we think that it deserves more credit. It's also turning 30, which makes us feel really stupid old, and that's part of the fun, too, I guess. So, yeah, listen to our show about The Rocketeer. Uh, watch the movie The Rocketeer. Just have a lot of fun with The Rocketeer. I'm just going to keep saying Rocketeer because it's fun to say. Rocketeer. Rocketeer. Never mind. Uh, but if you want to give us some more suggestions for shows or just whatever, send us an email, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. You can head on over to Twitter. We're at maghuge on that one we're on facebook we're on instagram you can find us seriously but uh like the show like our posts give us five stars share us with your friends and family head on over to our website maghuge.com follow the links from there uh, and then just find us on soundcloud itunes stitcher wherever you get a podcast we're bound to be there as well so hope you enjoy the show buckle up for the rocket ride uh 30th anniversary of the rocketeer Yo, 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 this is DJ Jazzy Eric with my boys. Call it out. Yeah. <laughs> Holla. Uh, can I kick it? Yes, you can. 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 Well, I'm gone. Uh, I believe you can kick it. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, please yeah. kick tribe, it. Tribe kick Call it. Quest. I've been li- Straight to the curb. I've been listening to some, uh, some Tribe this week, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so white. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Chris. Welcome. Hi, Chris. Who's that over there? Hi there. Hi, I'm Brian, and the other guy is? I already said. Oh, yeah. well, we DJ didn't hear Jazzy you. Eric. Oh, DJ Jazzy no, I Eric. said it okay. very loud. Chris, Brian, and DJ <laughs> Jazzy Eric. quite up front. Hosting your show. With my, yeah. Yeah, but every week with, it's a new moniker for Eric, so we're never quite with, with sure my what yo-yo. to call him. I called it out with my yo-yo. Yo-yo, yeah, you're so yo-yo. Sweet. You're so hip Word. and hop. 
You did it like this. You did it like that. You did it with a wiffle ball bat. Okay. Interesting uh, 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 piece of news from Brian. This I never thought of that, that uh, the B-Boys are in Star Trek, and the Beastie Boys have a song where they call out Mr. Spock, mm-hmm. who is a character in Star Trek centuries after the Beastie Boys, mm-hmm. which suggests some kind of temporal anomaly that will probably be addressed in some future Star Trek incarnation. <laughs> yeah. Or it's just a fucking movie and nobody cares. I don't know. I have a feeling uh, there's somewhere in the future, Seth Green is going to be playing Ad-Rock and uh, yo, 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 you're from the future. Yeah. Check out them pointy ears, y'all. Yeah. Little did we know when J.J. Abrams decided to drop Sabotage into just for like 30 seconds that it would turn into a whole thing. So the easy yeah. explanation when, is that Mr. Spock gained some kind of a reputation during the events of Star Trek four in the eighties and inspired the beastie <laughs> yeah. boys. There you go. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like you put that guy uh, down on the bus and that's the pinch on the neck from Mr. Mr. Spock. Spock. Right. Anyway, mm-hmm. I guess we probably should have seen that coming from the JJ Abrams first since he made Star Trek fucking awful. I mean, <laughs> you can expect. Yeah. And Shatner Jeez. tried to make it awful, but J.J. Abrams really just took it to right? a level. Right? <laughs> I, I think I think Star Trek V was the worst movie until all three of the J.J.-verse yeah. movies came out. I love I love Star Trek V so much, though, because it is so terrible, though. <laughs> I gotta admit. I mean, shit, the, the, the key signature line is, what does God need? with a starship it's like haha yeah. i got you it's like that's your gotcha moment that doesn't no come on man that's that's it's so funny that okay i i mean i know we're not we're not talking about this today but i just i always think about okay uh uh, uh nimoy got to direct the third movie and basically did nothing except you know tell people where to point cameras star yeah. trek 4 he got a lot more control and was a producer but but shatner just because it was a contractual obligation got to fully auteur a Star Trek movie with no directing or screenwriting experience at all. Yeah, because he's William Shatner. It's crazy. And that they made more after that. Anyway... Yeah. Um, hey everybody, yeah, it's I the show. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the Star Trek tangent we don't need to go down today. Let's just cut that no. off at the knees. Who's got some fresh shit? This shit is fresh! Oh, shit, yeah, this is where we talk about stuff that we've been doing, watching, reading, seeing, listening to. Uh, stuff we've seen, whatever. stuff we like, stuff we don't like that you should or should not watch. Yeah, This is the portion of the show where it's like hanging out with us at the local coffee shop. Because we don't yeah. really do the beers anymore. The anything. only reason you should listen to this show. Because there's because a part of the of show that isn't like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, don't ruin the illusion, Brian. Come on. Uh, let's see. Eeny, meeny, miny, uh, go, Brian. Hey, Mo! Okay. I keep it, (laughs) gonna keep the fresh shit, uh, brief this week, but I did watch, uh, the new Pixar film, which got put on Disney+, Plus, much to the chagrin of everybody at Pixar, um, (laughs) called Luca. His Um, name is Luca. He lives on the second floor. 
So he lives upstairs from you. I think you've seen him before. Chris is just trying to quote song lyrics to to, to waste my afternoon putting drops in the show. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. asshole. You got me. Is that how you intergalactic goes? I didn't know that's how intergalactic Boom. goes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Luca. So, so it's the one about the the merkid, right? That's trying. Yeah. To so in. Luca is a okay. sea monster, and it turns out if a sea monster leaves the water and gets dry, they don't look like a sea monster. They look like a person, and so. It's about how he, you know, disobeys his parents and ventures out into the world and meets this this guy and has a friendship and they they have this this big amazing summer and it's about learning new things and expanding your horizons and it is the gayest Disney movie you've ever seen and I mean that like sincere like this is a movie made by Pixar for LGBTQ kids or teens. It has to be because it is so a coming out story. Like a lot. <laughs> it is well. The metaphor is it is, it, it is it okay. is good. It's like we were we were trying not to say things like it's so gay, but now and again oh. something is actually so gay. This is yeah. Remember when gay used to mean happy? Yeah, nobody does because it's gay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the filmmakers will tell you it's about you know anybody who doesn't feel like they fit in, fitting in. But no, this is about keeping your secret from your parents or from society at large and joining a whole different culture and. And whether or not you'll be accepted and whether once you out yourself as a sea monster, the other people will accept you as a sea monster. This is about gay kids coming out. Like, that's what this movie uh, is. Um, okay. I mean, so they get away with a is that lot. Bad? No, it's not. It's actually really good. And I think there's going to be a whole lot okay. of kids for whom this is like their favorite movie. Like, especially if they're young and they're just trying to, to sort of figure out their sexuality. Like, I think this movie yeah. is going to be treasured by them. Cause it's also about, you know, sort of the, the wonder of youth and learning new things and expanding your horizons. And to some degree, it's about like a kid going off to college uh, and leaving behind, you know, what he's familiar with and leaving behind his friends. It's this very much this sort of transition into a next phase of life uh, thing. It's well, it's well acted. I think you could take the same script um, and in the hands of lesser animators and lesser voice actors, this would be just awful. Um, you know, if it was just done as like a, uh, a TV production or whatever, it would be unbearable bearable but like but like compared to say onward which came out last year oh it's way better than onward yeah i didn't like onward at all so it's at least this is a step in the forward direction yeah i mean soul is superior to this um but but it is it is a solid movie and it is well acted and it wins you over um you know pixar has also the other thing they're doing in this that I applaud is they're they're and Soul did it to some degree, but they're they're willing to like cut loose a little bit stylistically. So whenever we enter like into a character's daydreams, like things start to take on a whole different um, art style, different rendering style. Not to the extremes that you get in something like a Spider Verse movie or something, but but definitely they gave themselves some latitude here. Uh, so that's okay. fun. So yeah, it's, how are the songs? There are, are no the songs? songs. It is Shut not a up. musical. Shut your face! How can it be a Pixar Disney and not have a song? 
I uh, guess it can. The other thing is that it's set in in Italy, and so there's an awful lot of like, there's this one character who is just th- all Italian stereotypes are crammed into this one character, right? Which is <laughs> just obnoxious. Well, you know, you kind of have to, I guess. Uh, Maybe. How do you so, feel about that, Eric? Uh, Mr. Italian Well, speaking heritage. as someone of Italian heritage, I think they're all true. All the Italian stereotypes <laughs> are true. We're yeah. greasy, we're thieving, and we suck. That's what I think. <laughs> yep. And and I get into so much trouble with people I know who are also Italian because I say shit like that and they go, hey, I'm Italian. I'm going, yeah, motherfucker, I'm Italian too, and I hate it. <laughs> yeah that's so, just eric's scottish side coming out the, the, i love yeah, my italian I'm side trapped in this fucking <laughs> wop reality fuck this stupid uh, you know you know what what like like a century ago Ital- all the italians who had drive and ambition they got the fuck out and they came to america and what was left were the lazy bastards that are called italians now and so you go to Italy and everything's falling apart. People are falling asleep on the job because they don't have to actually work because of the, the social system that's put in place. For, it's just awful, awful, awful. <laughs> hate Italy. <laughs> hate Italy. Hate Italians. Fuck all of you. So, yeah, uh, yeah th- th- I think that's the message of Luca. It's okay to be gay, but it's not okay to be Italian. Um, yes. <laughs> I, think, I want yeah, them I- one day to go one step further. Because, uh, okay, they're obviously very pro-SJW, which is cool. I am, too. Uh, they're very pro-environment, which is cool. I am, too. But let's tie the two together and say, kids, go gay. It's better for the environment. You don't make kids. You don't, you don't produce right. offspring that uses more resources. A Disney movie coming out against yeah. the concept of children. I'm going to hold my breath on yes. that one. Yeah, but here's the thing. With all of the, the GOP crap going on, they're not going to be able to adopt if they want kids. So, you know, they can't get cakes so for what? their wedding. I mean, Jesus. Like Eric's Who point is there's too many kids. humans. Who really wants <laughs> oh, exactly. oh, that was his point. I always lose the point when Eric starts yapping. I kind of zone out. <laughs> <laughs> About anything at all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's, what? That's my fault. I, I, I try and make things more entertaining <laughs> with the anger. You know, get them get in with the honey and then teach them with the vinegar yeah. or however that goes. And, 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 and people are just far too into my anger. So yeah. it's like Lewis, like Lewis Black. He's like, yeah, I... I think I only get funny when I get angry. That's literally his shtick. So, yeah, that's you. So, I only have one other thing I wanted to bring up today outside the show topic, and that is we're recording this on Father's Day, and I was thinking about Father's Day a little bit, uh, and I realized that I have a hypothesis I I, I think I can defend, um, which is that Father's Day only exists... Because it was like part of the marketing campaign for their needing to be a Mother's Day. And it's how they got the sexist men to be like, fine, I guess I'll bother to be nice to my wife one day out of the year for Mother's Day. Uh, But in return, I get a Father's Day or, or something. And the reason I say this is there is no way that the men would have named the day Father's Day, when it is so clearly the one holiday that you can't object to naming Motherfucker's Day. So, <laughs> my, my, I'm just here to say Happy Motherfucker's Day 
to all of the motherfuckers out there. Yes. And that's what I got. Well, apparently, Father's Day uh, has been around since the Middle Ages. Huh. Uh, yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Well, so much for my Nobody. hypothesis, but it should be renamed. <laughs> I think it's got a better name now. You just wanted to do a zippy vaudevillian type joke there, sir. You just wanted to work at Blue for like 30 seconds. That's, <laughs> that's what you did. Oh, because, you work know, we don't blue. work Blue the whole show. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Seriously. What the fuck you got, Eric? Shit. Ah, oh, okay. Uh, so I finished, um, I, I think I was talking about Startup, a show that was originally on Crackle and is mm -hmm. now on Netflix. Uh, finished season two. It's really good. Okay, it's it's really uh, taut. It's it's a little tense. It's 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 like everything it's trying to be. It sets out to accomplish. It does. It's good. But then there's a third season, uh, and it's not so good. And it didn't get renewed for a fourth season before I guess Crackle went tits up or whatever and sold it to Netflix. Mm-hmm. So if you watch, so watch Startup. Definitely watch Startup. Don't watch season three uh, unless you're just like jonesing to revisit the characters. But it's not that good. Season three. It's it, it's like it's like basically it lost all of its momentum, right? It's like they wrote it for two seasons, they ended it perfect, good, but then they they did this third one, and it's just yeah, it's falling action that doesn't need to be there. Hmm. But I, okay. I do recommend those first. So two. watch the first two seasons of Startup and then just let it go. Yeah, think think about not watching the third season. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I just said it was like Eric's like big uh, quote machine. Startup on Startup. <laughs> but I need you as my copy editor. By God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Reed of the Arizona Republic says Startup, Startup. <laughs> <sighs> Okay. If you start up, start up, you'll never stop. <laughs> but you should yeah, after yeah, two right. seasons. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Two and a half stars. Uh, yeah. You make a grown man cry. Um. So what? Yeah. The other one is um. Wallander. Has it, has anybody ever watched Wallander? I have not watched it. No idea. I'm vaguely familiar with it. Yeah. What is okay, Wallander? It's actually well. Surprisingly good. I uh, okay. Kenneth Branagh is a Swedish police detective in Sweden. The whole thing takes place in Sweden, uh, but they're all speaking English. You know, it's it's they're they're yeah okay. And um, so he's a detective who has a sort of touch and go relationship with his father, with his daughter. He's very distant with everyone. It takes four seasons. Um, but British TV seasons. So it's like three or four episodes per season. And it follows this amazing arc he has from, you know, being lonely and detached to, I guess, finding his humanity, all the while solving these murder cases in Sweden. It is so fucking well done. I can't, I can't get over it. it at first I thought it was another one of those dopey, BBC detective mm. shows that my mom loves, and I was like, eh. But it's Kenneth Branagh, so it's got to be quality. Let's so, check it out. So, like, when was this made? I think 2015 okay. it started. So recent Kenneth um, Branagh. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
and I can actually look it up while we're doing this. Uh, but it, it's it's on HBO Max right now. I don't know why. I don't know how it got there. But I I've just been sort of on a uh, a Branagh sort of hmm. kick lately. Probably since um, since Tenet, I've been like, oh, you know what? He's actually really goddamn good. Let's let's see what else there is. And then I, I remembered I wanted to see Wallander. Uh, it, it's based on a series of crime novels that were... Uh, Swedish, Swedish, Swedish crime, crime novels. And, yeah, and they made a Swedish series out of it. And then they decided to, like most things, move it over to uh, the BBC. The same way we steal shows from England, England steals shows from Sweden. Oh, it was it's on only from 2000, 2008 to 2016. Okay. Which Excellent. is great because he ages more and more, you know, with each time. It's like he has a daughter that is in college in the beginning, and by the end, she's married and has a child and is a grown up, and he is visibly aging as this goes on. And yeah. Trust me, if you have a daughter really that good. age, you will visibly age. Uh, that, that's what yeah. happens. Yeah. Happy, that's yeah, happy motherfuckers day, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, in truth, in truth, she's actually less of an asshole than he is. So, <laughs> and, and he's just he's just sort of a cold, distant uh, kind of you know, I solve murders and that's my whole thing. Oh yeah, and uh, it, it, in the office, let's see, um, what's his name? Tom, not Tom Holland. Um, the guy who plays Loki, Hiddleston. The guy Hiddleston, yeah. the guy he cast as Loki when he directed Thor. He's in the series. A bunch of characters are, you know, in, over time, they just aren't there anymore. They move on or they, you know, and he's just there the whole time. He's, it's like he's stuck. And it's fun to watch this guy who everybody respects slowly become this guy that nobody can get rid of. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's art imitating life. So Kenneth Branagh's just yeah. hanging out. Keeps making more shows at the BBC. They can't get rid of him. They just keep making this thing. I guess. <laughs> That's I how guess. You do it. Yeah. That's how you do it. They cut his budget. He can't and afford now, Hiddleston anymore. He just keeps going. <laughs> yeah, and now he's he's part of the Nolan cast of players. Uh. So yeah, it's 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 good. It is good. It's really good for cracking out on. Um. When you want something just on while you're doing it. Eric Reed of the Arizona Republic says it's really good for cracking <laughs> uh, out on. Yeah. Good for I'll crack. give you three stars. And finally, yeah. Black Sunday. Watch Black Sunday. Black Sunday is zombie porn. It's, it's just so fucking awesome. I talked about this a couple years ago when the first season was on Netflix. Out of nowhere, they have a second season. It's like basically they watched... The Walking Dead, and they made a list of all the shit that is wrong with that show and said, okay, let's not do that. And then they <laughs> made up other stuff. There are huge, long shots. There's like... They're not actually that long, obviously. I know they're they're using computers and junk to, to make this work, but they, they'll have like a four-minute segment that is no cutting, and it's just hyper-violence. <laughs> it's so fucking well done. I just... Yeah, yeah. So if you think you like zombie stuff, you've got to watch this. Better, better long take zombie Bob, killing Tom, shots. Bob Fenster than... of the Arizona Republic says, if you think you like zombie stuff, you've got to watch this. There, see, I did so, it to myself. So compare it to Army of the Dead, say. 
uh, Army of the Dead is like fun foolishness. This is actually well done. You know. Okay. I I like Army of the Dead because it's schlocky, and I I I appreciate it on its schlock level. Mm-hmm. This is actually good. Th- okay. This, this makes you go, oh shit, quite often. Okay. All right. Okay. Like there's a a a, a and no character is safe. That's the thing. There are no. Um, I don't think, you know, I guess we haven't killed everybody yet, but there was a, a running character last season who survived all sorts of shit, who straight up gets fucking murdered in, in like the first episode, and you go, ah, and you follow him now, his character, as a bloodthirsty zombie running around going, <laughs> oh, zombie <laughs> and protagonist, <laughs> and I was rooting for him, because he becomes a zombie because, you know, the, the human who kills him, you know, is a shit. And you're just going, oh, fuck you. So now this zombie is chasing him and you're like, get him, get him. It's really funny. <laughs> okay. That's a fun <laughs> twist. I'll give you that one. Yeah. Okay. And it's not the whole show either because it, you know, it pops around to different perspectives. Uh, yeah. Really good stuff. I highly, highly okay, recommend it. What was it. the name of it again? If you, if you're. Uh, Black Sunday. Okay. If you're not sure whether or not you'd be into it, I would say watch the last episode of season one. For some reason, it's only like a half hour long. This is These are normally hour long shows. This one is a half hour long. I don't think five words get said uh, in a string, and it's just violence. <laughs> you watch this and you go, if you are digging just the the quality of what you're watching, the the movement it's because there's a lot of movement the camera's moving with these people and it's 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 just glorious watch that if you're into it you've got to watch this whole thing it's the smartest zombie show i've ever seen that's what i got all right interesting okay eric says two severed thumbs up okay yeah his his butthole yeah Ah. (laughs) that's too that's juvenile i'm sorry i apologize I don't really. It's not juvenile. It's just very hack. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I've never had. That's our new slogan. The magnificently huge podcast. It's not juvenile. It's just hack. It's just incredibly yeah. hack. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Chris, fresh uh, it. It's been a terrible week. Really, all I have is that I finally sat down and watched a, a year and a half later, uh, nineteen seventeen. Okay. Seen you. Ah. And speaking of uh, long takes, it. yeah, and that I didn't even really think about after it got rolling. It didn't really bother me that they set it up like that. Uh, but a very well done Roger Deakins again just knocks it out of the park with his mm-hmm. cinematography. That guy just needs to win every Oscar ever for cinematography. Agreed, because uh, like the the No Man's Land stuff was just like gray and gross and just like Walking Death. And then the stuff later when they're in the bombed out village and the fires are blazing and it's like hell and everyone is sort of backlit in silhouette. I'm like, mm-hmm. that just, what the, how do you like that shit? Uh, well, apparently Roger Deakins knows. Uh, but it, Oh, and they were good. actually like doing like moving lights in the air to, to be the the weapons that the are flares. getting fired. Yeah, and the flares. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's in and because it is supposed to be one continuous shot, the, the logistics of yeah. that stuff is just mind-boggling. Yeah, but uh, just the way the whole thing was set up, 
Uh, and you've both seen it, correct? I no. I saw it in the theaters okay. uh, when it came okay. out. And yeah, it, I mean, it was definitely one to see on a big screen because of the cinematography. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah but it, is a, it is a grim little movie, isn't it? It's it's a kick in the the gut, uh, and some of the the story, the way that it winds, it's really unexpected. I gotta tell you, I don't want to ruin mm-hmm. it, because uh, Eric, you should see it at some point. But yeah. you really, they don't telegraph anything, and it's just very shocking when some of the stuff happens. I mean, you know, it's a war movie, and it's not going to be pretty, uh, but some of the stuff is just like, oh fuck. You know, you just you find yourself sitting up going, "Oh fuck!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did that a couple of times. Uh, I've always then, thought there should be a series of horror movies based on World War One because yeah. there is so much about World War One that is just mouth gapingly awful. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was just terrible, and it's like, oh yeah. But then by the end, I was so numb, and that bothered me. I mean, mm. you just don't feel anything by the end. And I'm like, oh, let's... T-. And then you start, after the movie's over, and you start thinking about it going on. It's like, well, the way they shot it, more or less, is that one long take, so it's real time. And by the end of it, the the main character's basically just uh, been through the ringer and totally numb as well. So you become this, like, mm-hmm. sort of stand-in for the character. And, it just, and that when, that's, when that little just struck me, I'm like, okay, that's actually really well done sam bendis i applaud you yeah i mean they, they manage the tone and just the the feeling of the movie very very deliberately right and it is just yeah it is just two hours of stress but you're right by the end of it you sort of adapt yeah you've just yeah. become totally like just a, a cog in the, the machine kind of a thing mm-hmm. but all the characters like the and the, the soldiers that they portray it's either they're just totally shell-shocked and like fuck this man or they're just totally resigned to just the bullshit of war and they're just really flip you know and you know like the the lieutenant i can't remember the actor's name but he he played moriarty in the sherlock series mm-hmm. yeah that guy's and, intense i love yeah. him and his his character is like this just lieutenant who's just so fed up with everything that he just like you know he's arguing with these guys because they have to go do this trek across no man's land to find this regiment and he's just telling them like are you no are you insane he's like there's a whole regiment of germans out there that they have machine guns and stuff and then they keep telling him no no these are our orders and we have to do it and he finally says okay fine so he takes him up there and he just starts giving him like really flip advice about how not to die even though he knows it's total bullshit i mean it's just like oh fuck i mean and he and he feels like he's lived it you know so very well done war movie i haven't seen anything like it for world war one uh, and I don't know how long. Uh, I mean, Paths of Glory maybe comes close for tone, but I'd, I'd say 1917 I like better than Paths of Glory because it's not so preachy. So I would recommend uh, it. Yeah. So get on it, one? I'm trying to think of what that... The, the other World War One movie, the only one I can actually think of... Uh, All Quiet on the Way. recent years. Friend? No, no. Unfortunately, it's not that good. It's okay. um, that... Oh, God. You remember that Brad Pitt movie in oh, the nineties where he, oh. he, he's got like the brothers and they, they fall in love with that useless bitch and uh the dad is Anthony Hopkins and yeah. um that had Some... World War One stuff and the brother gets mustard gassed and, and Brad Pitt goes out and collects a bunch of German ears. It's like it's so silly. <laughs> yeah. That's the only time I've seen World War One in recent years. 
when I heard that uh, 1917 was one long take, I did imagine at one point they're running through the tunnels and there's one guy like playing the playing drums, like you know, yeah, in in Birdman, just just out of nowhere. Yeah, no, I mean, (laughs) it's that would have been good. It's well done. Uh, they they put a lot of time and effort into it, and it and it pays off. Uh, so I I wish I'd have seen it in the theater, but that was you know yeah. right when pandemic hit, and so oh well. And oh I well. think a big turnoff was was knowing that knowing that Trump kept calling it the 1917 flu instead of the 1918 flu because of that dump that movie. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's... he's incredibly stupid. Yeah. I would, I'll, I'll give you that. I really, so, uh, yeah, that's literally all I did. That was not a joyous, fun romp, but you know, whatever. That's just my week. All right. In a nutshell. As, Uh, as Vladimir Putin said this week, joy does not exist. It is only an illusion on the horizon. (laughs) He said that this week. Also, (laughs) and we didn't do the hack. That's also what he said. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I told that to my wife, and she said, that sounds like you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you know, that's like want... that's like a kumbaya moment for everybody right there. <laughs> yeah, Eric yeah. and Vladimir Putin, and yeah. Kicking it, as it were. Uh, yeah. God damn it. Can we just talk about the Rocketeer, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Fresh don't better. Fresh. Okay, something fun. God damn it. Something God until this show it. and research I did, I did not know, didn't actually even exist until, like, the 80s. Yeah, it's good. I thought so, it was, I always thought it was, like, a 1930s serial or radio well, thing. Nope. Well, that's just, that's just the take thing. It. It's so well done that, yeah, yeah. You, you get that vibe. Uh, but this is the 30th anniversary uh, coming up uh, tomorrow, I guess. So, uh, came out in ni- June of 1991. And it's now 30, which don't you feel old, knowing <laughs> that little nugget. Rocketeer, uh, Rocketeer, Rocketeer. <laughs> but yeah, came out uh, Disney, I guess Buena Vista, because Disney didn't want to put out a, a PG movie at that time or whatever. Uh, but it's based on the comic book by Dan Stevens set in the 30s, uh, basically about a, a, a like a racing pilot who, through shenanigans, gets a hold of an experimental rocket pack designed by Howard Hughes, and then has a, a rompy 30s serial adventure uh, against Nazis who want the rocket pack for their, like, Sky Army, I guess. Uh, As you do. That's just... Uh, so it's got a very Raiders of Lost Arky feel about it, uh, which is funny because the director, uh, Joe Johnston, did, like, uh, art concept work for Lucas on stuff like... Oh, did he? Raiders of Lost Ark. Yeah. Okay. That's how he yeah. got his start. I primarily so, know him as the director of this and later Captain America, the first Avenger, right? Yeah. He got actually points on Star Wars for doing some of the early effects, and so of okay. he's a gagillionaire as a result. Yeah. yeah, and he doesn't Yeah, he doesn't have to work much. Uh, but this was his second film. This came off the heels of the really shocking success of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids two years earlier. Oh, okay. And, and this, so, this film will also explain why, uh, if you loved Captain America, the first Avenger, yeah. this is, this movie is why this movie is yeah. almost, you know, this, this is, yeah, this is real yeah. to do a Captain America. This yeah. is basically his, uh, audition for Captain America, first Avenger. Uh, 
But the movie came out on the heels of uh, Dick Tracy was the year before. Disney had a smashing financial success with that one, shockingly. Uh, But it was at a time when they weren't making, studios weren't making a lot of comic book movies. It was still really risky. What? Superman was basically... No, no, no. This is is post-first Tim Burton Batman. This is everybody's like, what have we got the rights to? They weren't making comic book movies yet, though. They were were basically, they were still experimenting with old IPs. And so they would make shit like The Shadow or... They didn't know it was comic book fans that went to see this for yes. some reason but but the thing the rock the thing with the rocketeer that's so weird is that they had actually tried to get this off the ground since the 80s i think at one point uh steve minor the guy that did some of the friday the 13th stuff had the option but dan stevens didn't like his direction i guess it was totally just out of the left field so they let the option lapse and then they just kicked it around until disney finally decided to go with it but at this point in time, the Tim Burton's Batman was the only big boffo uh, comic book movie that had happened recently. And then that kind of sp- spurred this sort of weird experimentation. But yeah, like Dick Tracy the year before, and then there was this like strange deal where they were doing all these 30s serial-type adventures. But they were all based on existing actual 30s serials, and this one just has the supreme flavor of it. Uh, and it's done really well. So it's it's just a goofy, goofy movie, and I will tell you right up front that there is not one ounce of cynicism in this entire goddamn movie, and normally yeah. that would bug the absolute shit out of me, but I love it in The Rocketeer. I just adore yeah. it, and I don't know why. It's like one of the few <laughs> movies where I can watch, and I'm like, there's nothing ironic or cynical about any of this, and I love it. Every goddamn minute. <laughs> so, I don't know if you could make fun. the Rocketeer today. One, because there's no cynicism in it, and two, because the yeah. Nazis are clearly bad guys. And yeah. you know, <laughs> and that's up for debate these <laughs> yeah, days. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. So is, yeah, but this is back in a more simple time when <laughs> Nazis were just shorthand although, for asshole. Although I would like to also point out, very, 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 very white cast. So you know, yeah. not. <laughs> nah, I don't okay, know. who's I don't our know. leading man in this? Because like he he's yeah, got this let's, very let's leading man case. look here, but 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 what else has he done? Because I didn't actually remember him from anything. Uh, Billy Campbell. This was his big breakout, and then sadly nothing much came of it. I mean, he had a smaller yeah. role in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Later on, he was in this movie Enough with Jennifer Lopez, where he was just this abusive dick that she gets revenge on. Uh, and he's done a lot of like TV stuff. Uh, so hmm. his career never quite took off. I, and sadly, probably because the Rocketeer just didn't make a lot of impact at the box office. It made its money back, but it didn't really spur any sort of uh, franchise that sure. they hoped for. Sure. Uh, so he's he's been around in a bunch of stuff, but you know he's just one of those actors that you kind of recognize but don't really know his work very well. So it's just kind of strange. Um, but they fought to get him in the role. That's what's so oddball to me. Huh. Is like the studios rock racking off all these like top names that they want. I think you know, along the lines of like Bruce Willis or whatever the top names of the time were. And Joe Johnston basically said, no, I want this guy. I want this guy. And so they got him. Well, I mean, he's uh, he's got the look, right? Like he's he's very leading manny oh, yeah. in this thing, and and fits oh, yeah. with the 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 tone of the movie and the period. 
Yeah. He's got that like square jaw, Matt Knight Idol good look thing going on for yep. him. But yeah. he plays it with such an all shucks G whiz sort of thing that's it, like in any other movie it would be totally off putting. But I don't know why this movie just hits me right right in the sweet spot and I don't care. So it's it's funny to watch him do that. I think because so, it's not fake. It's yeah. not it's you know, it's it's like you can you can come off as you know like if you're if you're making a movie because you believe other people should be happier and so here's going you know here here's here's your your pablum it's annoying yeah. it's obnoxious if you are actually into the subject matter you're talking about it's great and yeah. and there was you know this whole period of entertainment in the 30s and 40s that was that open i guess yeah well if you if you look at it i mean it's We've tied this based on the comic book, which, by the way, is totally different from mm-hmm. what ended up on screen. Uh, but it basically took most of its uh, inspiration from an actual serial from like the, I, I want to say early 50s, uh, called Commando Cody, which is basically about a, a daring do like G-Man type who had a rocket suit. And he would just like fly around, but it was just those really god awful serial effects where it was just obviously a a dude on strings against the backdrop of a sky that they would sh- like swing him by, and then they put in all the rocket noise afterwards. But he had like the helmet that looked almost like what this one has, etc. And uh, it's just like fighting like invaders from the moon or something. I think it's called Rocket Men from the Moon. <laughs> uh, and so it, it definitely is taking its inspiration, much like Indiana Jones took its inspiration from the 30 serials. This is sort of the same vibe. Uh, so but it's just. Let's, t- yeah. let's talk a little bit about the suit, right? So basically there's this there's this jet pack designed by Howard Hughes. And then yeah. um, our, X3. our mentor dude uh, played by is it Alan Arkin. Uh, who is his great in this as he's always great, but he's great in this as well, <laughs> except for one moment, except for one exceptional moment. Oh, Cliff, no, that is like to me, the three word write up of this film that would have killed it. It's like everything about this movie I love. And then that happens. And I nearly peed my pants when he's yeah. like, oh, Cliff, no, I want <laughs> well, it to be my ringtone. I don't know why it's not. <laughs> so, well, you know, it's just part of that earnestness. Anyway, uh, his character is the one who designs the helmet, which is basically, I mean, everything about this is art deco, but this is like a, yeah, this is like a bee crossed with a Cyberman helmet. Um, but it's got yeah. this, this fin on it, which Howard Hughes, who is actually a character in this film, uh, you know, eventually recognizes his genius because this is the way they steer it. And so I'm sitting here looking at this contraption, right? And we've got this rocket on your back that shoots flames out the back. So, like, the backside of your legs and your feet are just going to be scorched (laughs) and third-degree burns from the flame coming down on your ass. And then... You're, now you have to steer at rocket speeds by by using your head, so you're gonna your neck is gonna hurt. After well, Phoebe tells that. him at the start of it, he's like, uh, "Like, look with your eyes. Don't don't move your head." Blah, at blah, one blah, point, blah. he flies up like like next to a plane. He turns his head to look right the fuck at the plane, <laughs> and he does not go zapping into right, it. Right, right. Yeah. Which. And that, to me, is part of its charm, is because they set the rules in motion, but in pure 30s serial form, yeah. they do not 
pay attention oh, to any of the rules yeah, none, none of sense. none it's of like, the stuff that makes any sense, right? It's just yeah, whatever. I can think of a couple of ways to science your way out of a couple of these problems, but yeah. Why would you? You know, it's like yeah, you, you it's, know with something like this, you could you could explain it. Okay, well the the fuel this thing uses, you know, it, it creates exhaust without creating high temperature. You know, yeah, it's like like when they set somebody on fire in movies, they just use yeah, a different I've, fuel so it doesn't actually burn. Yeah, this movie, it's like, this yeah, movie is like this if you're worried this. about this, you're watching the wrong movie. We're literally going to make a plot point out of patching it with a piece of bubble gum. So just just. Turn yeah. off the brain and eat some popcorn, people. Come on, it's the I mean, it's designed to be a fun ride. It's designed to yeah. be a fun ride. But, yeah. but I mean, there's so much going on here, and I think it may be because of Joe Johnston at the helm, because it's it's a tribute to those 30s serial adventures, but it's also just sort of a love letter to classic Hollywood, almost, mm. because a, the substrata of the film is set within the Hollywood realm, because you have Timothy Dalton playing... Nigel Sinclair, who's like an Errol Flynn type swashbuckling and, actor. And looks exactly like Inigo Montoya. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a point where he uh, actually says, hello, my name is something. And then I immediately had the MST3K and be like, you killed my father. Yeah, yeah anyway. <laughs> but uh, so he's the the big, big action star filming a Hollywood Robin Hood type swashbuckly thing. Uh, and then Jennifer O'Connell or Jennifer Connelly uh, is Cliff Secord's uh, love interest, but she's like an extra trying to designed break into the to look like Betty Page. Well, that's what the in character the references book. in the comic book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also designed and, to and look the, like Jennifer Connelly in Labyrinth, and and Jennifer Connelly should not go to dances because she she picks <laughs> bad partners. But anyway, yeah. Well, but this is a weird time for her too. This is basically when the only roles she could get were like the the love interest ingenue that looks yeah. pretty kind of a thing because he's on the heels of of labyrinth but then the same year she was in like career opportunities i think hot spot was around the same time so such a jennifer Connolly crush at this time oh my yeah. god yeah. oh jesus she was only like 21 or something when they made this so it's yeah definitely can i t- uh, like can i tell the to- the toby story because i love the toby story our friend sure. toby akins who went to, went to yale, yale. Yeah. At the same time that she went to Yale, one time was walking uh, through the library stacks and saw her, and she was picking her nose. And at that moment, he said, "Oh, Jennifer Connelly's a real person." I was like, <laughs> "I love that story." <laughs> but yeah, I just I hate that they don't give her anything really to do in this. She's just there to be the damsel in distress. Well, so it's uh, it's an '80s movie that's that's harkening back to the '30s. Like the chances that we're going to have a female character with yeah. any agency at all. I mean, like this character though is just I mean, my god, you know, the, the, there's a point at which she is roofied, like she's chloroformed and then after yeah. she, <laughs> you know, after she's been chloroformed, she's been transported to another place and her would-be rapist is like, "Hey, would you like a drink because you know the chloroform didn't do enough to like, you know, get you in the mood or something." Like it's really <laughs> like yeah. yeah, but th- there is that wonderful moment, I think, like when she knocks him out and basically says, acting, thank you. Yeah, because yeah. She, she pulls it's him so, into it's the- so Yeah. So, I mean, it, she's just basically there to be uh, a plot point, which is unfortunate. But she's Jennifer Collins and getting to do it. So we don't really mind, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't know. I got the. I remember. Maybe I need to uh, uh, look for that again. 
I always got the feeling she was smarter than Cliff or the bad guy. It's oh, just yeah. that But but the way she's written is basically just sort of the the naggy arm candy kind of a thing oh, for Cliff. She's like, t- you know, telling him to to be careful and he needs to do more and this and that. And then they do the whole sub joke where he's done the the air show rescue uh, deal and that's when the Rocketeer starts to appear in the papers and stuff. And so later when he is basically stalking her at the nightclub where she's out on a, a quote-unquote date with Nigel Sinclair and Cliff catches her and he basically tells her, I'm, I'm the Rocketeer. And she's like, the Rocka who? It's like this totally uh, goofy joke, but they totally just land it because through the whole thing, you're like, yeah, she's got no idea what's going on at this stage. <laughs> it's like, screw you, buddy. Uh, it's a good point. Uh, but yeah, she's, I'd like to. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. I would say she's definitely smarter than anyone else in the movie, but they don't really let her do much with it, sadly. Yeah. Which is very, you know, pre-women's uh, movement anyway. Yeah, yeah. well, let's, yeah, yeah. let's talk about her being smarter than everybody else in the movie because the primary motivation here of our lead character, right, who's, who's come across this rocket pack by accident, right, um, he, he wants to keep it for just a long enough so that they can make some money off of having the rocket pack, but also they can't tell anybody who they are. So yeah. how are you getting paid, dude? Like, how does that work? <laughs> well, you know, you're a friend of Cliff and Peavy, and uh, they'll take the money for you. <laughs> whatever, whatever. Wink, wink, nod, nod. It, it, again, yeah. it doesn't make a lick of sense. It's just, here's a oh, dude no. with a jetpack. Watch it, you know. But that's the beauty of it, is that it's so full tilt, just obviously a 30 serial motif that it yeah, follows all managed, of those beats. If they had managed to weave in a scene... With Alan Arkin saying, uh, yeah, for 50 bucks, it's uh, quite a show. He'll show up and he'll do a thing. I just can't tell you his yeah. name. And then they, they do the thing. That, like, the, yeah. there you go. It would be about that simple. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But, you know, it's what is, it is what it is. But then the whole thing is sort of this really almost Byzantine plot because you've got the gangsters being run by Paul Sorvino, who I think was just fresh off of Goodfellas. Yeah. And I think, uh, uh, Joe Pesci was offered the role but didn't take it, so they went for the other guy from Goodfellas, I guess, to lend, <laughs> to lend it some credence. Uh, so there's that. Can, can we talk and, about in in Paul Sorvino's office? There's a mermaid. Like he's got yeah. a tank of water, and there's a human woman dressed as a mermaid swimming around in this tank with no visible way for her to ever breathe. Like you know, we obviously we're cutting the film such that yeah. the actress can breathe. But I'm thinking in this gangster's office, like he's, he's got some chick who's willing to do this. How does she breathe? It, 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 it distracted me. <laughs> well, Maybe she's I'm, got like an air tank, like that. She like reaches down and takes a hit of air and then goes back to waving. I mean, that's how they do that in those old, you know, sure. Miami well, mermaid to, lounges. Yeah. Well, to be fair to the, the club's called the South seas club. So it's got that whole motif. Like the yeah. singer comes up out of the giant clamshell to that's, sing the number. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, fine. Maybe I'm overthinking Which, things. Those are actually those were actually pretty common. You can you can find some. Uh, I think there are still some in business in Miami. Yeah, it's just a weird weird deal. But you know they nail yeah. it. The singer, by the way, uh, Melora Hardin, who people would know from The Office later on. She was the the boss that ended up dating uh, Michael Scott. 
uh, did all her own singing in this thing, which I didn't. I always forget until I see the credits, and she's actually singing like "Begin the Begin." When they begin. The sound of music so tender It brings back a night of tropical splendor It brings back a memory evergreen Hats off to Melora Hardin. You guys know her from our talk years ago on Repo Man, White Dumps, <laughs> White Dumps on Punk, that she was in that uh, episode of Quincy. And she was the girl that uh, oh, they were worried about. So, oh wow, yeah. she's been yeah. around forever. You yeah. guys would know her from that episode of Quincy I talked about two years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Quincy punks. Uh, so yeah, so the 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 basic structure of the film is that uh, Cliff and PV have a racing plane that they're testing. The mobsters are stealing the rocket pack while the FBI is chasing them. And then through a series of accidents, their test plane gets destroyed so they can't make any money. The feds catch the gangsters, not but not before they've stashed the rocket pack. And then they find the rocket pack and go, oh, look at this thing. Let's use it. And then the mobsters are talking to Neville Sinclair and just a really abrupt cutaway in this Frank Lloyd Wright house. That was common in the 30s, I guess, for movie stars. And then you find out that uh, the mobsters are procuring this from whoever for uh, Neville Sinclair, who turns out to be a Nazi double agent. He's basically mingling in Hollywood, but he's working for the Nazis, which is based on that old myth that Errol Flynn was working for the Nazis back in the 30s, which isn't true, but it's fun to think about. Uh, And then... Basically, it just sort of spirals out of control. And then Neville Sinclair's got this giant, weird-looking dude that should be a Dick Tracy villain. Yes. With his weird prosthetic face, Lothar, who basically just kills people by folding them in half. Yeah, he's like uh, this movie's versions of the Bond villain Jaws, right? Like, he's, yeah, he's basically, just the heavy, basically. the muscle. Yeah. The gorilla. Uh, so there's a whole thing. And then, basically, just the, the whole movie seems designed to get to the end at the observatory when the Nazis show up with their Zeppelin and then you have the big fight on the Zeppelin and then have to run away from it exploding. Oh, uh, that is the best. When he lands on the yeah. back of that Zeppelin with the, you know, with the gun and the head turn and the, the Nazi yeah. flag on the fin, I'm like, Jesus yeah. Christ, this is art. This is yeah. really great. They're really selling it. Uh, and then you get the full on just, <laughs> like it's funny because uh, at some point Lothar the big dude has come out onto the Zeppelin top to fight the Rocketeer and Lothar's got like this harness thing that he strapped himself onto so he doesn't fall off and then later on when they're on the top again Jenny and Cliff and Lothar the Zeppelin starts exploding in chunks as each section starts to blow up and so they start running and then Lothar's beating them until his arms like catches and then he can't get it off and then they run right past him and he's got that look on his face like oh shit I mean it's just so strung him up by his own petard <laughs> yeah it's so it's so over the top yet so perfect I mean just I don't know what to tell you I love everything about the way they set this thing up even to like the the diner that they all hang out at the airfield it's in the shape of the the stupid bulldog with the pipe I mean it's like that 30s just thing where just they could do anything with architecture because they had stucco 
And so they said, hey, let's just go for I, it. We'll make a diner. I think, okay, what I love about this film is somewhere in between those two things you just said. Because it's, one, there's no digital effects. There's rear projection. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. even a bit of stop motion. It's like every special effect technique is used except CGI. If they had had CGI, they would only use CGI. They would overuse CGI, and they would just burn it to the fucking ground. It would be awful. Every film made today uses too much CGI and nothing else, right? It's like no one knows how to do any of these other things properly anymore. James Cameron Cameron had just about perfected rear projection by the time he did Aliens Mm -hmm. to the point where you're like, holy shit, that looks... I know that can't be real, but that looks awesome. <laughs> it's pretty and, good. Uh, yeah, and, and and it's like you can't do any of that now. You have to do it all on a computer. And the problem then is you're relying on one person's perception of how it should look, and so yeah. it looks wrong. And you, 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 you everything here, I, I buy that it's the 1930s because they had to do it through um, a very skilled art director. Yeah. Not, well, not somebody doing CGI. Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't hurt that you get Joe Johnston as your director because he had all of his experience pretty much in that artistic direction aspect of film. And, you know, and he'd help design a bunch of the Star Wars stuff. Uh, he well, that's, would even... that's, the, that's the other thing, though, is that, like, he comes from a time when basically he came from all of those those effects that were pre CGI right. today you would get like you know some some guy who directed a fast and furious movie who would just be like <laughs> yeah you know make it make it like 30s ish you know like yeah. the 30s and and he would reference movies about the 30s rather than the actual 1930s cuz yeah, serials exactly. are dumb it uh, would just it would just suck yeah but i mean that's where the i think the the movie succeeds uh, is that you like you say he he was genuinely interested in what he was making and it shows yeah. and I'm just I'm always saddened that it didn't do more I mean it came in like 25th highest grossing movie of the year or something uh, I saw but, it like three or four times in the theater oh, yeah. I kept going because I loved it yeah hmm. well I remember when it was when it was coming out uh, you were working at the the movie theater and you you scored a bunch of the, like the promo materials. I still have the poster. I just haven't framed it in thirty years. Yeah. I'm just waiting for the right moment. But we had like the big banner and the po- like the Art Deco uh, themed poster, right? And so, and really of course, the movie failed, it. so it's worth nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got like a, a cult status now, I guess. But it's totally worth the time. But I think it also got hurt because it came out uh, in June of '91, and if you look around it was like came out like a week after robin hood prince of thieves which just basically steamrolled everything until uh like two weeks later when terminator 2 came out and steamrolled everything so it was just a really piss poor uh slot to get dropped into given what we know about how that year turned out uh but it can and the the week it came out it came out against dying young and some, some other thing but it's still. Ew, only, I remember yeah. that horrible fucking. Oh yeah, the cancer movie. <laughs> yeah. The summer blockbuster cancer movie. Yeah, like Joel Schumacher. That was the. Yeah. Sort of the beginning, the first beginning of the end for Julia Roberts. Yeah. Who kept destroying her career and coming back. 
Yeah. So it comes out that weekend, but it's still Rocketeer only managed to be like the fourth highest grossing movie of the week uh, because of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I think Soap Dish was still out for a couple weeks now. Thelma and Louise was still rolling. Uh, so it, just, it wasn't done any favors by its slot. And that always chafes me a little bit because it could have done so much better. But it also yeah. wasn't helped by the fact that it was put out by Disney and it was PG. So it was sort of older kids who it actually was geared towards probably looked at it and went, eh, this looks like a kid's movie. And younger kids probably didn't even care because, it, you know, whatever. And they had like a whole toy line set up and the whole oh, nine yards that just uh, fell apart. And part of it is it was one of those things where it's like a nostalgia play to try to get the kids to to see the thing. But, you know, like the W.C. Fields is a character in this movie, at least briefly. That's <laughs> true. Right? Like, yeah. like, you know... For the for the Peter Laurie fanboys out there, this is you know, hey, this is your nostalgia hit or whatever, right? Like it's yeah, it's, I'm not sure it's who it's fun. aimed at. Well, I like that when you watch it now, uh, and Howard Hughes shows up, played by Terry O'Quinn, who was in Lost and other stuff. And if you if you've ever seen any of the stuff he's in, you know Terry O'Quinn uh, playing Howard Hughes, and it. <laughs> like after I watched Rocketeer again this week, just as a refresher, uh, I went and watched the aviator just for shits and giggles. Cause I wanted to just kind of have sort of the real world backdrop. You needed Howard more Hughes. Howard Hughes. <laughs> so like yeah. in, the, in the Rocketeer, he's barely in it. He's a side character. He's basically telling the feds, you know, fuck off. I'm Howard Hughes. I'll do what I want. Uh, it's my rocket pack. And then he helps them later with the gyrocopter to swing in and get him off of the exploding Zeppelin. If I, Turn the bottle cap a quarter, <laughs> and then yeah. I take the cap off of the bottle. It's like, yeah, two two different interpretations there, Mister yeah. Hughes. And it's like, yeah, but so when you watch the Aviator, presuming that timeline is fairly accurate, it's like he should be just bug fuck out of his mind, crazy uh, <laughs> for part of the the Rocketeer, but he's not. Like you know, just I like, mean, I think that would that would go a ways towards explaining how he developed. A rocket pack, but didn't think of rudders or uh, yeah. or lift or a- any kind of aerodynamics. Just just exactly. just forward thrust. Yeah. <laughs> huh? I mean, shit. Yeah. Steering didn't. That's a great idea. Steering. Shit. Yeah. Well, were you some kind of Einstein genius with your steering? <laughs> shit. Well, one job. Thing, the thing that struck me as really funny after watching The Aviator is the the one link to the character of Howard Hughes in both of those movies is the his obsession with making sure that the spruce goose uh, would actually fly. Because in the Rocketeer, yeah. like Cliff escapes by jumping off and then grabbing a, a model of the spruce goose and then sort of gliding out of the hangar, and then Hughes says, "Son of a bitch, we'll fly." And then the whole lead up <laughs> to the end of The Aviator is like them trying to just make sure that this giant giant airplane will actually like fly for even a short distance and that's the flow through and i thought okay well maybe okay i guess that's howard hughes in a nutshell he just wanted Eh? to make sure that his giant plane flew so so i'm thinking about what you said about the who the audience was for this Mm -hmm. yeah and okay i want you to imagine not knowing anything about either of these two films right One of the films takes place in the 1930s and is about a pilot who has a rocket pack and fights Nazis, right? (laughs) And the other one 
is about an archaeologist who digs stuff up and makes God fight Nazis. Now, <laughs> I'm thinking the first one's going to do better. Me? Yeah. But... Yeah. I, that's fair. Well, that's that's the, fair. I mean, yeah, it's a yeah. it's a movie for for men, you know, who had boys to take their sons to to see this movie, right? Like that that's it's a Father's Day movie, isn't it? Yeah. So well, I mean, I don't know. I'm just always just irritated that it didn't do better because it just when I saw yeah. that first trailer, I thought that looks fucking fun. I will go see that in a heartbeat. And I remember we would all talk about it coming out and be really excited for it. And then, I had planned like the next two sequels. I had this yeah. whole idea of like the Rocketeer trilogy where the second one takes place during the war and they're yeah. fighting Nazis with their their jetpacks and <laughs> and Cliff is like the one who's training the Rocketeer Corps, so like yeah. all the other guys on how to use it. And the third <laughs> one would be after the war and he's branded a communist and he, he, so he's no longer the good guy. He's kind of on the run. He really needs to cling to that that persona that nobody knows who he yeah. is, but he's still and, a good guy. And, and Howard Hughes can't help him because he's locked in a Vegas hotel room by himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the other thing that struck me too watching it is, it, like, I don't see the iteration of Iron Man that we got from John Favreau in 09 happening without the Rocketeer. Because you watch Rocketeer mm. now, knowing what you know about the Iron Man movie, and I'm like, how... John Favreau must have seen The Rocketeer like a thousand times because I start seeing all these like story beats and, and style choices and things. And I'm like, this is literally just a, a souped up 21st century version of The Rocketeer is the Iron Man movie. Because uh, the design is all there. They take key moments when he's like doing the training montage, trying to learn how to use his suit. It's all there. Hmm. And it just struck me as very similar. And I was kind of freaked out by it. And, and, you know, <laughs> Iron Man goes on to make just a jillion dollars, whereas Rocketeer sort of relegated to sort of the dustbin. And it just makes me mad. The thing I took away from this movie was that in the 30s, the FBI would just straight up open fire on your whole house with machine guns, <laughs> yeah, which which tells me that the FBI has gotten more racist since the 30s, because now they're selective <laughs> about which houses they'll yeah. just shoot up. Well, this is back when, you know, you had Hoover in charge, so he, he could take the heat, you know? Screw it. If that were the case, I don't think so many, like, white nationalists would hate the FBI so much right now. Yeah. I think they hate the FBI because the FBI didn't go, yeah, we love Trump, too. Oh, God yeah. damn it. I brought it back to that asshole again. Whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing with this, the movie is just, like I said earlier, it's just so genuine. It's very earnest. There's no cynicism. And it's just strange to, to actually watch something like that because, you know, we're the Gen X fucktards who need some sort of weird irony in our soup. And this one just doesn't have it. And it's... I don't care. It's just so entertaining. Like the opening scene when you get that James Horner theme song and the hangar doors open up from the black and it's just the sun out on the California desert and you just get that bah, 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 and it's almost like the opening of The Natural. I mean, it's just so just James Horner. It really like makes any movie he works on twice as good. This is true. I mean, true. He, he's just amazing. It's too bad he's dead because he just... <laughs> Anytime I watch something where he did the score. Yeah. Fuck. The, um, just... the Wrath of Khan is a pretty good TV movie. But then you add James Horner mm -hmm. and it's a masterpiece. Yeah. So it's just, it really sets the mood. 
and then you know it kind of evolves from there uh but it's just it's just a fun romp uh and in my book any movie where you're fighting nazis that's a good movie and i'm just pissed that that's no longer something we're you remember see. do you remember that that shot of like um the hollywood hills and it dissolves to a pillow that's yeah. shaped exactly the same that was so smart i mean that was that was so out of this world smart yeah it's they they do a couple of cool scene transitions like that but then other ones it's just like a really abrupt like thing uh mm-hmm. so it's just you could tell they were kind of under the gun but it was made for like 25 million which is chump change and the thing looks just fantastic for yeah. a cheap cheap production I guess I don't understand why it's not considered a success just based on that. It cost nothing, and it made something. Because you know? yeah. Disney it, makes it, things to sell merchandise, and there's not yeah, a lot of Rocketeer merch, quit. right? Like, that's yeah, what it's going to yeah. be. So it's just, you know, too bad. So happy 30th anniversary, Rocketeer. You did it. Yeah, you Wonderful old. film. You old. <laughs> but it's on Disney+. Plus. Go find it. Go watch it. Give it some love because it's just, it's, an, it's a hidden gem from the, the year. Uh, and, and if there are other 30-year-old movies you'd like us to talk about, you should contact us and let us know. Brian, tell them where they can do that. Why, thanks, Eric. You can contact <laughs> us at MagHuge on Twitter. That's M-A-G-H-U-G-E. Or go to our website, MagHuge.com, and you can find links to our Instagram, to our Facebook, and to the way to email us, which is MagnificentlyHuge at gmail.com. And as always... We want you to subscribe to the podcast, share it on your social media feeds with your friends, and I think I said all the things, so that's the show, everybody! Oh, Cliff, no!